Radical Archaeologies, Unearthing Limmer's Sonic and Poetic Landscapes, directed and produced by Ale Hop. Olga Rodriguez. I'm assistant professor in the Department of American Studies and Latino Studies at uh, Indiana University. So the 1980s was a really important year in Peruvian history because it was the moment in which Peru returned to democracy, but it was also the moment in which this armed guerrilla, later known as Shining Path or Sendero Luminoso, started the war against the state in the Andes, in the most impoverished areas of Peru, people started migrating more to the city of Lima. The very first responses of the government against this guerrilla was also directed to peasant communities. By this moment, 1983, it started emerging in the city of Lima, this first event of punk underground uh, subculture of very young limeño kids, kids that were coming from middle, lower classes, low-income families, and kids that were raised amongst the elite. And they were all united by this sentiment of critique, right, of punk critique against the government, a critique about how the government was uh, being extremely racist and anti-indigenous in its war policies. Y para el año 84 había habido muchísimo más de 50 o 60 atentados tanto en provincias como en Lima, coches bomba. And by 84 there had been many y more than 50 or 60 attacks and car bombs in the provinces as well as in Lima. And never no before had the phrase punk no future, which was used a lot in 77 by punk groups in the United States and England, and never before had it become so well, real for us as young people at the time. We didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. We liked music, we liked painting, we liked movies, but with a situation that, at least for me personally, affected me very much because I had left school in 76 believing that I was going to be an electronic engineer, which obviously I never studied because the career I wanted to follow at that time did not exist here. There was no music production, there was no sound engineering, and I did not have the means to study abroad. Escuchemos, pues, al entrañable amigo de siempre, Narcosis.
fue lógico y natural que un grupo como Narcosis y un movimiento como el, el que se, bueno, se le dio por llamar subterráneo a los medios se diera de la manera que se dio, ¿no? Salió Narcosis. It was logical and natural that a group like Narcosis and a movement that the media labeled as underground would happen the way it did. Narcosis came out, leucemia already existed. There was guerrilla urbana, escuela cerrada, autopsia, and all the other bands. We went out every day to rehearsals and concerts with that feeling of not knowing if we will make it back home. I never learned to play any instruments. I don't even consider myself a musician. I consider myself just a curious guy who likes music, who somehow learned some musical tricks, doing punk in the 80s as a way to survive through an artistic and creative activity, a reality that was crashing. Hi, my name is Fabiola Vaso, and I write about the politics of gender in Peruvian rock music. What, what is very interesting about the Peruvian punk scene is that they deny class differences. So the idea was music will unite us. So why do you have to talk about this? Right. So as more youth joined the scene, they came from different socioeconomic backgrounds. It was not all the middle class kids who were unhappy with their family, with their school, with the church, state, growing up with their traditional values. These new youth that John came from working class backgrounds, and they saw that their families didn't have enough to survive. And they expressed that in their lyrics, uh, expressed that dissatisfaction with the other punks. There are some class divisions in our country, And the other parents were reluctant to accept that they were different within their own scene and said that bringing that kind of distinction will break the unity. The other thing that was an issue for them is we don't care about the domesticity of women or that men occupy the public sphere. What we only care is that we make music. So here comes a woman a Patricia Roncal, better known as Maria Teta, she brought up and said, hey, I am a woman. These are the issues that I confront in previous society, and they intersect with class, they intersect with race. And the fans responded very, very aggressively against her, and indicated that her music was not serious. Even today, they will say that, that her music was not serious. She conveyed her critique of Peruvian society and how badly women were uh, treated at that time with humor. The punks did, didn't appreciate that what she was telling. It was was pretty bad. At some point, somebody uh, screamed at her, "Hey, you whore!" And they say, "Yeah, whore, but not with you." Domingo de Ramos is one of the very unique voices of contemporary Peruvian literature, of poetry in particular. 
came to be uh, known with this poetic group called Cloaca, which means sewer. El movimiento Cloaca nace en 1982 en pleno conflicto armado. Entonces el The Cloaca movement was born in 1982, in the middle of the armed conflict. Then the state and the insurgency discourses were the driving forces of that moment in society. Cloaca arose from those two discourses as if it was a pacifist manifesto. It described the national situation, the situation that was being experienced at that time of violence and barbarism committed by the state against the Andean populations. My poetry is from the street. It is a process that is well-rooted in me. It is sometimes descriptive, it is sometimes very oniric. It is never distant. I always have it there, impregnated in my own being. I can be anywhere else in the world, but it will always be present in my poetry. Domingo de Ramos, in a way, represents the poetry that comes from the slums, from the shanty towns of Peru, which we call Pueblos Jóvenes. A desert city like Lima, the parts that are not developed are like sand dunes. And so migrants in the 1980s, but even before the 80s, came to these areas of Lima to take land and also to develop their own neighborhoods. One would have to imagine a city being built by the neighbors who were deploying also indigenous techniques of uh, labor and solidarity and reciprocity in order to survive a city that was really rough, a city that also discriminated them partly. And Domingo de Ramos emerges from there, but he's much more than that. He is not only a guy that comes from the slums, but his poetry does this very claim of universality. He's interested in poetry as a language in a country where some of our most incredible and famous poets come from the provinces too. So he aligns with that tradition of César Vallejo, for example. Domingo's first book, Arquitectura del Espanto, Architecture of, of Horror or Terror, I think I, I translated as, talks about how they are all living in a city that is horrendous. A city that is killing their young people, which was a lot of the themes that also the musicians explore. Lima, Lima is horrible, Lima is a very violent city, not just because of the war, but because of the social interactions too. A city that is really almost like a caste, a city that is very, very misogynist, very racist. So Arquitectura del Espanto talks about that dichotomy between the traditional Lima that is built with cement, and the Lima of the shanty towns that is built with hay.
He very much defies the idea that, oh, this is the developed part of the city and this is the poor part of the city, the underdeveloped part, and there is no continuity between the two. Domingo tells you, no, in order for this place to be built, you have to have this poverty right next to it, which is pretty much how scholars are understanding modernity now, right? Like, we were never modern, but modernity was producing underdeveloped places, was producing um, spaces that were devoid of everything. Next is the poem Banda Nocturna from Domingo's Architecture of Horror Poem Collection. Banda Nocturna, del libro Arquitectura del Espanto, a los guerreros del 80. Bajo la noche transparente, arden las veredas, parpadean los faros sobre los susos blue jeans de los jóvenes que se extravían entre esquinas y parques claroscuros y negras casacas, entre brumas fosforescentes y blanquísimos cráneos, dientes rubios, dedos rubios escarchados por la hierba, sus miradas brillan como hervilla de plata, llena de tambores, las plazas bañadas en aceite y policía de felpa. Por la noche salgo. En el día vuelo a gases lacrimógenos. La multitud me absorbe con sus palpas, pero me detengo en las claridades del mundo para respirar sin un cigarrillo en los labios. El frío me congela los miembros. No hay sitio donde descansar para ver las rojas hormigas cargando huesos, miaje de pan. Todo está cercado por piedras exhaustas, solitarias bancas, rotos por el silencio y ese cascarón azul que me separa de ti, oh raquítica tierra. Mi cuerpo es solo fugacio, paca, estela, locura, en el orden natural, eterno polvo sin la tierra. Ann Wilder González Agreda, an experimental musician. I have been making experimental minimalist and ethereal music since 1995. Lima has more than 11 million inhabitants. And the sector in which I was born and live is a northern area or conurbano, also known as Lima Norte or Cono Norte. Is basically made up of working people, proletarians, and descendants of migrants from the Andes. My environment is that of an emerging lower class neighborhood without museums, art galleries, or cultural centers. As Peruvian influencers, Misias Pero Viajeras, poor but, but trippers, sentence the people in the cons just survive and that's it. But, and they didn't realize that, is what the Lima people does. Growing up and living in the Northern Congo during the 80s and 90s informed my liking for transgressive experimental sounds. Making music in Peru and in Lima in particular is acting in an environment where circles, hoops, and cronyism reign, symbols of colonial heritage that are more than alive. One can be talented and have a high resume, 
but if you don't smile at the gay morons, then they marginalize you from concerts, calls, and instances of that type. That is Lima, Peru. Amanda and I'm a travesti audiovisual artist from Peru, living in Barcelona since 2016. I'm also a drag performer, I'm a cultural agent, uh, independent curator, a writer, translator, DJ and occasional actress. For me it is clear that making art is a political stance. So, when I started to develop my career as an artist back in the late 90s, we had at the time the Fujimori regime and it was very oppressive situation for artistic displacement in Lima. So we managed to meet other people that were just in this case criticizing the regime, making activism at open air and also secret places like the underground scene. The underground scene and uh, uh, focused on alternative music, alternative ways of life, alternative new wave scene, alternative noise scene and such. My artistic uh, work also deals with the encounter of the architecture, in this case, heteronormative, architecture and uh, dissident sexual bodies. So it is important for me to develop a way of how a body can liberate itself from the surroundings, heteronormative surroundings in this case. It is also important to think about sexual dissidence groups. To think about strategies in that sense, I'm making the same way I was uh, surviving in Lima working with cultural institutions like museums, art galleries, and our large uh, artistic projects, and also working in the underground. I put in action this way of surviving, going from the underground layer to the upper layer. So this is nothing new also, and you gotta design your strategies and uh, artistic projects in that sense. as a visual artist. I live in Peru since the 80s, in Lima, Peru. Bueno, yo me formé como pintor en la Facultad de Artes de la Universidad Católica en Lima. I was formed as a painter at the Faculty of Arts of the Catholic University in Lima in the 90s. Towards the end of my studies, I joined the collective co-Aguaitones. It was right at the end of Alberto Fujimori's last government. All the interventions and actions we did were linked to making a critique 
through visual arts and interventions to the things that were happening then. For example, one action we carry on was the first demonstration against women's first sterilization during the Fujimori regime. And this happened in the year 99, when this was an unknown topic. Cuando yo me involucré en algunas actividades del Foro de la Cultura Solidaria, estoy hablando del año 2005 en adelante más o menos, hasta el 2009, había organizaciones, eh, colectivos, grupos. When I got involved in some activities of the Solidarity Culture Forum, I am talking about the year 2005, more or less, up to the year 2009. There were organizations, collective groups, they came from different sides of the left. They claimed to be critical of the politics of capitalism, but they also had discrepancies. At that time, I think the reality was very different. Now, no one doubts that the demands of questionings from sexual dissidents were part of this radical question of capitalism. Ese cuestionamiento radical al capitalismo. Diseñé una banderola para la actividad del grupo Contra Natura, se llamado. I designed then a banner for the activity of the Contra Natura group called Nights of Pleasure. I put there the big image of Tupac Amaru transvestite with painted lips and half an hour later the police patrolman appeared, pointing out that it is punishable by law to mock the patriotic symbols and heroes. I remember that Paul Flores, a great friend who was part of the Contra Naturas Collective, said very lucidly that Villa El Salvador district had been a cradle. It had been a very relevant area for the terrorist group MRTA, Tupac Amaru Revolutionary Movement, and that there were some who were not offended at all that the MRTA had used the image of Tupac Amaru to kill people, to carry out genocidal acts. However, they were very mortified that we simply put lipstick on his lips and shadow on his eyes. The MRTA had among its political guidelines the annihilation of social scum, and among those social scum were drug addicts, alcoholics, homosexuals, and transvestites. There have been many disappointments, indeed. It's been hard working here in Lima, it's a very violent city in all senses. Many times I, I, I've been eager to leave Lima, indeed. I spent some time in Ayacucho, for instance, just to go away from, from Lima. But however, uh, I think the history of Lima is, is very interesting. Lima is a very old city. It's about a two, it's a 2000 old city. There are many parts of the history of this, this city that, that is very interesting. There are many huacas, for instance, in Lima. There have been many pre-Hispanic cultures and many important layers of history to read which are relevant 
to understand the, the, the actual state of things, which is very interesting. Maybe that's why I'm still here living in Lima, because there are many things to do, many things to change, to question. Yeah. Es lamentable lo que está sucediendo ahora con esto del golpe que ha hecho la derecha peruana contra los movimientos sociales. Desde un punto de vista crítico, desde una actitud radical. radical Eso es lo que yo veo actualmente. Sacar una voz, sacar la rabia, sacar la verdad a través del arte. ¿no? To bring out a voice, to bring out the rage, to bring out the truth through art. O por lo menos cantarles en la cara. Or at least to sing in the faces of the owners of the country and the planet, to show their truth in their faces. Sacarles en cara sus verdades. En fin, es difícil, pero aquí seguimos. Radical Archaeologies, unearthing Lima sonic and poetic landscapes, featuring Olga Rodriguez, Huicho Garcia, Fabiola Basso, Domingo de Ramos, Wilda Gonzalez, Frau Diamanda, Javi Vargas, directed and produced by Ale Hope, co-produced by Norient and Goethe Institute. My name is Alonso Almenara, I am a Peruvian journalist, and I have been invited by Norian to host a discussion about the current state of the underground music scene in Lima. By underground, I mean experimental music, psychedelia, free improvisation, and all kinds of weird stuff. Joining me are Alejandra Cárdenas, also known as Alejop, an experimental musician from Lima now living in Germany and Luis Alvarado, a researcher, curator, and the director of the Lima-based label Boo Records. So let's dive in. First, what is the underground music scene in Lima like today? Are there important characteristics, trends, or connections with what is happening elsewhere in the world? 
In these past few weeks, I have been working on a video about the experimental music scene in Lima, and I had the opportunity to talk with many young people about the current state of the movement. I already had a perception regarding the scene, and my perception is that people migrate periodically, which naturally transforms the scene. This can happen because migration introduces new players through exchange or because many people disconnect entirely and the movement has to reinvent itself, so to speak. So it is constantly evolving. Given the fragility of the scene, these migrations seem to prevent it from developing too much. However, unlike previous decades, one thing I've noticed is that these travels and increased connections with international scenes have turned the local scene into something that no longer necessarily happens in a single place. It's now made up of people living in Lima, but also in Europe, in the United States, and it operates in that way. So, on the one hand, the evolution has gone in that direction, and on the other hand, the scene has become more eclectic due to the necessary collaborative efforts to make events possible. It has become increasingly common to, for experimental music concerts or noise events to end with techno parties. This allows for better utilization of the infrastructure that collectives have for organizing their events. I cannot speak a lot of what has happened in the last decade since I have spent the last eight years abroad. But my experience of the scene from before was always that the difficult thing was always to have a space. In Lima in particular, public spaces are not available. Like, I, I thought it was totally normal that you cannot sit in a park, for example, until I came to live in Germany. Things began to happen when a, a space became more available. Uh, for example, for a while, it was a, a local in the district of Miraflores, and a small scene, like, grew up from there. And then, before that, people began to do parties in abandoned houses in the center of the city. And that also, like, created a scene that was underground. They had, like, parties and indie bands, and uh, a lot of things happening there. Yeah, but I, I noticed that then, like, it stopped happening for a while and then it dies and it is a pity because there is no continuity and regarding like for example labels when I began my career all the labels were local there was no perspective of becoming more international more connected to what was happening in you know Latin America or the rest of the world in that sense I would highlight here the work of Luis with Boot Records because that is one of the labels in Peru that has like a global perspective and includes bands from abroad you know it has like a, a global network now which spaces have been at the forefront of this movement I would say there are two types of spaces. On the one hand, local venues that are essentially owned by the artists themselves and are open for these events. These include Domingo Ponte, 1049 Magdalena, El Paradero and Casa Bagre. 
These places have an ethos and a profile that connects with artists, not exclusively from the experimental music scene, but with a significant component of it, as well as other elements of underground culture, such as underground parties and alternative cinema. On the other hand, there are associations that function as platforms facilitating the production of these events. The main ones are Deshumanización and Retama, which have been notable for their consistency and their vision of bringing together like-minded young people. I think one of the key features of the underground music scenes all over the world is the very prominent participation of women, as well as the LGBT community. Does this happen in Lima as well? Yes, I feel like uh, this is also happening in Lima. In fact, I have seen a lot of mobilization and a lot of people calling out festivals that only had lineups with more male percentage. I feel like nowadays there's more awareness. In fact, when I was doing like the research for the podcast for Norient, I discovered that there are musical encounters of uh, trans musicians happening in El Galpón. Also a lot of concerts only featuring LGTB musicians. So I think this is really different from the scene where I formed myself in the early 2000s. Uh, when I began to go to concerts, there were like not even women, you know, so I feel like this is changing really uh, radically. There are parties like Polvo Club, many DJs, a strong LGBTQ and trans presence within the alternative scene. And it's a blend of parties and concerts, not only in underground venues, but also in institutional spaces like Proyecto Amil, which is highly activist in that sense. Additionally, there are events organized by the Collective, which formed during the pandemic and brings together young female composers. Two collectives of female DJs have also emerged recently, Revuelta and Vinileras, which is particularly interesting because vinyl culture has often been associated with a more male-oriented audience and there is a certain prejudice in that. I would like to discuss a little bit more the limitations of the scene. We have talked about the vitality of collectives such as Retama and Deshumanización, or about what the trans community brings to the scene. But it is also true that Peru is not in a good shape in terms of economy, or even in terms of democratic standards today. So what is the impact of those factors in this musical activity? There are several things that are no longer happening as they used to. For instance, we had a space like the Fundación Telefónica, which was quite unique in Latin America and that functioned from 2005 to 2018. It had a constant, uninterrupted and even excessive activity promoting experimental and electronic music. When it sees its operations, one could clearly notice the difference. Things that used to happen no longer do. Of course, new spaces need to be created. 
The solutions that these new generations are finding involve working collectively, which I find healthy and important. Let's see what the future holds for them. Of course, Telefónica was an institutional space that supported concerts, but it, it, there has never been like a festival for this kind of music or even like a, a cycle of concerts with uh, money from the state in Lima. And this is very li limiting because then it is very difficult to make a living only by playing small gigs. You have a day job, you know? So what makes the Lima underground scene different? Have these artists found original ways to overcome these limitations in terms of sound or technique? I think what's different here is the way events are conceived. In other places, it's quite normal for things musicians, for example, to have their own space, as well as extreme nose musicians have their own space. An artist like Dante Gonzalez would prefer to perform only with people using analog synthesizers, but that doesn't always happen. Or someone like Paruro might prefer to perform in noise-only environments, but that's rarely the case. I believe this gives a unique quality to these events, but at the same time, it makes them more chaotic. Alejandra, you have been living in Germany for a while now. So, as one of the most distinguished artists of the Peruvian experimental scene, I wanted to ask you, did you leave Lima precisely because of those limitations? This is not the reason why I left. The thing is that in 2012, I went to New York to play. And I felt like th there was a lot of interest at what I was doing. And I thought like it was a mistake if I didn't like tour more. And if I only stay in Peru, I also had the feeling that the scene in Lima was very normative in a way back then, what was expected from me. And like I, I was trying to move, uh, for example, to organize something in a museum with my new album and so on. And I felt like that I, I could not make this move there. Uh, there is like a poverty also like in, in infrastructure. And I feel like the artists that I like the most are the ones who have turned this lack into a skill. There are artists that have been very successful and working with very little and making really cool things, you know. For example, Jardin, you know, like the the way he works with just a few pedals. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to see and the way he managed sound and his skill to go to a concert who has like awful loudspeakers and make it sound super amazing like but also like like even artists like uh, the ones that Luis was mentioning like Dante Gonzalez and Paruro who had like uh, works selling instruments and collect uh, secondhand things to do their music uh, this is an amazing thing and they have m make the disadvantage an advantage and I, I think this is very special this is a very special thing to see But I think that was more palpable in the generation that Alejandra mentioned, the era of Jardín and Paruro, who turned the tune radios into oscillators or used recycled materials with very basic sets but filled with creativity. 
Those practices may not be as prominent now. Still, it seems that during that period of exploration, recycling and repurposing, the local scene reached a level of maturity in an unexpected way, stemming from its precariousness. I don't feel that it has left a lasting legacy, but there is still a strong culture of creating circuits and building sound controllers with Arduino and that kind of stuff, although that is a global trend. I'm not sure if this vitality has been maintained, but it certainly gave the scene a distinct character and sound during one of its best moments, without a doubt. So, this was our discussion about the Lima underground music scene. This program is part of a project called Time Zones, an experimental podcast series that plunges into the world of artists and their practices. It is a co-production of an Orient and the Goethe Institute. By the way, this bonus talk is connected to the Time Zones episode focused on Lima, which is conducted by Ale Hop. I encourage you to listen to that program if you haven't already. I want to thank Luis Alvarado and Alejandra Cárdenas, also known as Alejop, for their insights. We discussed topics such as the creation of the collective's Deshumanización and Retama, the role of the LGBTQ community in the city's musical life, the activity of labels such as Bu Records, and of spaces such as Fundación Telefónica, Casa Bagre, and Proyecto Amil. It is safe to say that the Lima underground music scene remains a vital movement. It is made up of struggling musicians, but also of iconic figures such as Jardín or Paruro. As Luis Alvarado said, the scene is always at the risk of disappearing due to financial or political reasons. But, fragile as it is, it's also being created new every decade or so with each new generation of experimental artists. My name is Alonso Almenara, and it was a pleasure to host this episode. Goodbye. Oh, my God.